Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to a selection of the best of late lunch this final full week in March. We open today with sociologist Tom Inglis, who spoke about the renewed importance of collaboration and the collective at this unprecedented time. My next guest is a sociologist and author of many thought-provoking books, including Moral Monopoly and the Meanings of Life in Contemporary Ireland. And never more than now has that meaning been called into question. However, it's his recent article in the Irish Times that caught my attention and which we're going to talk about for the next while. I'm delighted to welcome to Late Lunch Tom Inglis. Good afternoon, Tom. Afternoon. Thank you for taking. I'm not at all delighted to talk to you, and thanks for taking the call today. Um, At the start of what you've written recently, this jumps out at me. You say that some say COVID nineteen is an act of God, which you don't agree with, but you do say that Mother Earth is self regulating. What do you mean by that? Yeah, um, it's. I suppose it's the idea that um, nature or Mother Earth knows what's best for it, knows what's best for the planet, and that uh, it is a self-regulating mechanism. If something gets out of control, uh, then it introduces uh, mechanisms for, if you like, curbing or or reducing uh, that harm. And so it seems to me that the, the most obvious harm to the planet and to all species other than humans are humans themselves, um, and that they have completely got out of control. If you can imagine, say, that the Earth was overrun by ants and that it was they were destroying the planet, that nature would find a way of limiting ants. <laughs> it, it is. I don't. I don't buy into the idea that you know, Mother Earth is you know some really super, if you like, almost godlike uh, and. Um, and you can seize, said, oh, let's, let's, let's lose COVID-19 as a means of reducing the harm. I mean, I, I can understand that it's, if you like, the unintended consequence is that the pollution of the earth is dropping rapidly, uh, you know, because we're not traveling, et cetera, not consuming, etc. I don't think that to think of it in, in terms of, of a decision or anything like, uh, like that, but the, for me, the, the thing is, is that you know, we spend an awful lot of time trying to understand God. And, uh, of course, we can't understand. I mean, it's, it's completely, how could this super intelligent, you know, that we can't even conceive of what God is. And likewise, uh, we cannot conceive of how nature or Mother Earth might go about regulating uh, organisms, species uh, um, uh, that have come to exist uh, within the planet. So you believe that nature, in a way, or whatever this world is that we live on, as you say, hard to, to fathom what it's about, is taking a corrective ac- action on, on mankind or on what mankind has done to the place? Um, again, you see... To even if you start asking me questions about God, I would say, you know, in the mind of God, I'd say it's only an approximation. I mean, we, we are fascinated, but if you like, for signs of God, for how how He or she or it works in our lives, and and we can only really just guess. I mean, we're, it, it's beyond reason. We can't we can't figure it. Likewise, I think if we think if we see nature in the same way, 
um, you know, we think of some nature as something that we can master and control. Mm. Well, the reality is is that that's a human delusion. You know, nature has existed far far longer than, yes. than humans have have been on the planet, and 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 so for there you know, that if there is an imbalance. Uh, that maybe, and I'm just posing it as as an idea, that maybe yeah. that nature has yeah. um, this idea, or, or sorry, this possibility of regulating itself so that, um, if you like, uh, it, it, it introduces um, mechanisms for, uh, if you like, um, subduing, controlling, regulating uh, the, the harm that humans are, are, are doing. So you say what we need more than ever now is that the human race, regardless of colour, creed, nationality, mm. whatever, mm. we must act collectively. I'll tell you this, Tom, I wish you luck. <laughs> but the thing is, this is the whole problem, is that, uh, and this is why I make you know, uh, reference to that, uh, it's a story about uh, the daddy long legs coming together and they were you know, in danger of being eliminated by bats in this cave. And then they, they worked together to create this self-protective mechanism. Now, of course, uh, it, it is beyond, if you like, uh, uh, comprehension to think that human beings can come together and work collectively uh, so as to so as to reduce the harm that they're doing to the environment, and in doing so, protect the human species. Mm-hmm. But I think that the more um, um, these, if you like, invisible enemies, as Trump calls them, but the more these viruses um, develop, and the need, as we've seen, glimpses of it for you know, transnational cooperation. Um, and, the, 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 you know, it is this idea that, that, you know, a butterfly flaps its wings and the tsunami is, occurs, you know, somewhere in another part of the world. But certainly one market in China, you know, stacking wild level, uh, animals on top of each other, and that led to the virus. And then, you know, within, you know, months, the whole world is shut down. That is going to change our understanding of what life is, about the meaning of life, about uh, how we cooperate, um, and so this is what I mean. Out of out of that, it's, it's you know, if if you, if if you think of Big Bang as something that emerged, some event took place. This tiny event in 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 a, in a food market in China has had huge worldwide consequences. Yes, but can I put this to you? Uh, the Spanish flu in 1918-19, mm. it's been well reported, killed between 40 and 50 million people mm. on this planet. And what happened? We had the roaring 20s where mankind went mad because we're human beings, we're frail, we're not able to do the collective, we're not able to think in the bigger picture. Um, yeah, and I, much of what I see in, in relation even to the dealing with the coronavirus, much of what I see in relation to you know, global inequality, etc., dismays me. And you know, the, the possibility of, of humans coming together to act collaboratively. But maybe it's, 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 a, it's a time in, in, in deep gloom. Is a time for, for, for optimism, and, and there's a time for um, you know thinking differently, and and that's why I, I think that in the same way as one of the great things, achievements of the of, of the New Testament in particular, were the stories that, that that were told, the parables, and they became inspiring to Christians all over the all over the world for over two thousand years, and those stories were basically about how to live a good Christian life. My argument is. Let's try and develop stories that inspire us to act and think, not just in terms of being good Christians, but in terms of being good human beings that protect ourselves and protect other species. And that the more we, I'm not saying that there is a need for another prophet, but I do think there's a need for new stories, and I do think there's a need to try and create rituals that reach across national, religious, uh, ethnic divisions you know, that, that bring humans together and for them to realize that we're bloody frail. I mean, this is, this is 
<laughs> a wake-up call. I mean, they think that this is going to go on forever, to think that we can master and control nature. This is all delusionary thinking. We need, we need to be inspired. And, and, and that's why I'm saying is that, it, and we also need rituals. Yeah. Uh, so stories and rituals that, you know, that we tell our kids uh, to get them to think that they are not the super species, that it isn't about their salvation, it's about the salvation of the earth. And that what we need to really, uh, if you like, have a, a revolutionary consciousness mm. uh, in terms of, of the way we see and understand ourselves and the planet. Well, what you're saying is, it makes such sense, I have to say, Tom. And and it, it really got me when I read it. I said, I've got to talk to this man and bring it to a wider audience if I can. The other thing I just want to tell listeners, what you're referring to, this bat cave where all these hundreds of thousands of bats lived. The, the walls were covered with daddy long legs. And these bats, you know, as bats do from the cave, they go out every night and they feed on everything in sundry. But they never touched the daddy long legs who were living with them. They never went near them, Tom, because yeah. they put on a collective. What did they do that the they, bats they, passed They them? came together and they, as a body, and they, then they started pulsing. Yeah. So the, the bats thought that they, the walls were pulsing, but this was a huge organism. Yeah. Something that they couldn't consume. So they went outside the, the, the cave and at all the individual mosquitoes and all the in, other insects that were flying about individually. Yeah. And it's that idea that if we continue to be act individually and if we continue to think that it's all about me, my consumption, you know, my, uh, you know, my, uh, if you like, my freedom, my liberties, uh, and, and, and we don't think and act collectively, then we'll be like the mosquitoes. Or they'll just be picked off by the bats. Yeah. I come back to the point that, you know, uh, I made about the Spanish flu. And of course, a vaccine will be developed uh, for this uh, sooner or later. And then there'll be a big sigh taken and everyone will try to go back to what life was before. Or will it? What's your what's your call on that? What do you think? Well, I, I, it's so early after. The, I mean, this has been, if you like, one of the biggest revolutions. I mean, we talk about the First World War, Second mm. World War, but I, we don't know at the beginning of this war how how what the casualty. Uh, I do think there will be, you know, this idea that if something is happening in one country, that they can go on doing it. So, so for example, if China continues to allow these markets, you know. Will there be a ban or will there be a movement? Now, we've, we've seen this international cooperation, not just through trade, but we've also seen it in terms of, 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 of other states interfering in, in uh, what states do internally. So I, I, I think at an international level, there will be a, a greater consciousness. And I think there will be um, a, a you know, kind of questioning as to why didn't we have the resources? Why didn't we have the, the healthcare system, you know, to, to to look after this, to deal with this, you know? Why we weren't as prepared as Singapore, for example, in which the you know the the level of of incidence and the level of death has been in comparison uh, minuscule, and the reason was they learned from SARS. So I think there will be uh, a learning about you know how to, and, and we'll have to make sacrifices in order to get a proper healthcare system. But, you know, we've been, if you like, dilly-dallying and talking about hospital beds. That This is a wake-up call to say there's a much bigger, bigger question going on here. Um, and I also think that, there, you know, hopefully not a cultural level, there will be a realisation that um, it's not about, you know, what your religious beliefs are, or my religious beliefs are. It's not about my salvation or about what you're doing in order to get into the heaven and avoid hell. We need to think about what it is to live a good life here on Earth. What it is, is it to lead a life that doesn't, if you like, damage the environment, in, in, uh, uh, reduce the, 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 the life of other species uh, and destroy the planet. I mean, so I, I, I think you know, there, there's many things coming together in, in terms of you know, the connection between, um, you know, in the, the, the in, the planet emergency or, or, or the climate emergency and uh, COVID-19 and, and, and then the bushfires in Australia and the floods you know, where I am in, in Roscommon. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, you, you, can, you can be start to put, if you like, uh, the pieces together and see they're not isolated, that there is a, a pattern here. And so that there is, I think, 
as much as there is, will be an economic crisis, as much as there will be, to a certain extent, which is quite actually, there hasn't been a political crisis, but I think there will be a cultural revolution as well. So interesting, Tom. You're fantastic. I love your work. I've uh, read a number of your books and uh, it's great to talk to you today. And please, God, we'll talk again down the road. Thank you so much for joining me with those fine words. You're very, very welcome. Food for thought indeed from Tom Inglis. The first spring salmon of the year was landed at the weekend on the Boyne system by dairy angler Joe Early. Did me heart good. What am I talking about? A bar of silver on the Boyne. Yes, the first salmon on the Boyne system of the new season landed on Saturday. And the man who hooked him, landed him, took a photograph, put him back in to fight another day is Joe Early from Derry. Joe, congratulations to you. Thanks very much, Jerry. Are you you a regular visitor to the Boyne? Yeah, I've been a member of Navin Anglers for, must be in the third or fourth year. So I come down quite often. Really enjoy the river, so keep coming back, meet some good friends. So catching salmon is just a welcome bonus. The weekend, was that your first trip to the Boyne this year? It was indeed. The Boyne's been very high this past few weeks, most of the season, in fact. So um, I haven't, you know, haven't been down at all. First day down this season now. And last season was a bit difficult for me on the Boyne. I had a few lost fish, but I'm quite glad I was able to get that one there on my first visit this season. And what's more, you caught him on the fly. I did. I love the fly fishing now, so we put a lot of effort into fishing the fly. And you know, It was big water and a lot of people wouldn't bother, but our motto is, as long as it's clean, we'll fish. The exact point you were, you know the way anglers are very secretive. I know this myself, being a man of the rod and line, we don't really divulge <laughs> where we were fishing. But can you give us a little idea where you were? Well, it wasn't um, on the actual main point itself. It was on the tributary there on, in Navin, in the Blackwater. So it's a nice little river. Boyne, the main Boyne was still quite high. So the backwater is a nice little river. And it still counts as a first salmon on the Boyne because it is the, all the Boyne yeah, system. Yeah, it's, still, it's still, still part of the Boyne system. Yeah, so, yeah it, fl- it flows in. Down you go, you're fly fishing. The water level is quite nice. How soon did you get him after you began fishing? It's actually quite a funny story to this. I come down quite often, as, you, as I said there, and I fish with a, a, a friend there, Simon. He would have caught the first fish last season. I fished down the pool first and nothing happened and uh, I was actually sitting down at the tail end of the pool and I just heard Simon roar my name and I looked up and he was actually into the fish I fish first and I walked up to him and within a matter of seconds the fish was off the way he looked at me I couldn't I couldn't do anything else but laugh <laughs> at the time <laughs> um, so I said to myself right I'll go up in here behind you and start down the pool again he said that's alright and he went on down and he wasn't fishing two minutes I was roaring at him to come back up because I was then into another one. It was, it was quite entertaining, to say the least. It was good fun. It was hardly the same fish. No, definitely not. Two different fish, two different places on the river. Normally, whenever you, you hook one like that, and, he, you know, he did have them on for a few seconds, so normally at that point, that fish won't come back. He'll be lying sulking in the bottom of the pool with a sore lip, and mine took me in a different position, and I was further up the pool, so it was definitely a different fish. There you are, a couple of fresh fish about. What fly did you land them on? Um, it was like a cascade, a cascade tube fly. What was the fight like with the fish? Very soft take. Bringers would normally be renowned for quite a solid take, but for the first few moments I actually thought it was caught on a bit of grass and I just left it and then it started to go and I was like, that's him. So it was very slow to begin with and then I was called Simon. I made sure he was hooked because I didn't want to call Simon and then for him to come up and the same thing happened again, losing. So I waited a wee moment, made sure he was on and then started to roar Simon. And when Simon came up, we basically started to wake him up a bit and then he took off a couple of skips, showed himself a couple of times. But yeah, good enough fight. He was, you know, wasn't a big springer, but eight pound, fresh as the daisy, you know, still still a, a good fight out of him. Lovely fish. I'm looking at the picture here, an absolute beaut and fresh in from the sea as well. Oh, you can't beat it. Took the picture and of course you return the fish because the boiling system is catch and release. Yeah, mandatory catch and release. It's been like that for a few years now and... As far as I'm concerned, as an angler, it is making a difference. You know, the calibre of fish that I see in the Boyne Rivals, some fish that we see all over the world, and I travel for salmon fishing, I'll be in Scotland, I'll be in Sweden, and a couple of trips planned this year. And the calibre of fish that the Boyne has is just fantastic. And that's what keeps taking me back. It's fantastic. You've come a good journey from Maharan, County Derry, but when the fishing's good, I know myself, you'll go any distance and you'll do anything uh, to get... Anywhere at all.
Yeah, sure thing. And poor Simon Cassidy, and you laughed at him, but you had the last laugh. I did. We have a a healthy rivalry. Um, <laughs> myself and Simon go fishing the right bit, and we're always, you know, living at each other, wee bits in here and there. Um, we get on well together, we fish well together, so we're, we're all just, we're two mad fishermen, really, and we just, we just want to fish all the time. So, you know, it's good fun whenever you find a, a, a you know, a good friend and, a, and salmon fishing, and that's what it's all about, you know, that's some great friends from all over the country. Mm. I, I know it being an angler myself, it's the camaraderie and it is the slagging and the banter and everything that goes on. It, it, it's a oh, huge fantastic. part. Of it. Yeah, it is. It is a huge part. So anyway, the, the, the trips abroad, uh, no doubt, in, in doubt for sure this year. But to have fishing like this and in Ireland on your doorstep, and please God, it, it remains open, it's just fantastic. The point fish, the calibre of them is fantastic. It's a real hidden gem in Ireland, the quality and calibre of fishing. What a resource you have sitting in the middle of Navin Town Centre. Joe Early from Mahara and County Derry, congratulations to your first spring salmon on the River Boyne system caught on Saturday and a beauty it was. May I wish you tight lines for the remainder of the season. Thanks, Joe, for joining me today. Thanks very much, Jerry. I'm looking forward to getting back down. Well done, Joe. A catch to remember. Sleep expert Lucy Wolf has a new book which I was keen to talk about for all new parents. My next guest is a paediatric sleep consultant, founder of Sleep Matters, author, speaker, contributor on TV and radio and most importantly, mum of four lovely children. Her new book builds on our proven philosophy and methods when it comes to getting all-important sleep for you and your baby. I'm delighted to say hello again to Lucy Wolf. Hello, Lucy. Hello there, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much for taking our call today. Can I ask you this? I'll put this to you first. You've helped so many people uh, down the years, uh, parents and babies. You've learned a lot, I'm sure, and gained fantastic knowledge. Has it altered your thinking in any way for this new book? Oh, absolutely. And I really feel that this particular book has been informed by all of the questions that I got and feedback that I got based on the first book, The Baby Sleep Solution. And I suppose in that time, with three more years of, of my own practice here, so yes, very much so. It has really helped inform me and my practice and changed the way almost that I have described things for people so that we have a deeper understanding. And again, as I suppose... I am evolving as a person, as a practitioner all of the time, and I'm very open to acknowledging that and using that experience and that learning to, again, further help people when they're struggling with their children's sleep. You say early on, and I just want to mention the book, the name of the book is all about the baby sleep solution, your questions answered. You say early on that really for new parents, right off the first six months... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't think I said it like that, but in a very nice way. Yes. Yeah. I guess what I always try to do, Jerry, is help parents understand that whilst there is room for growth, there absolutely is. Sometimes in the early few months, the way your baby presents from a sleep point of view is just typical infant sleep. And I really am passionate about that. The more we normalize that, young babies wake up. Young babies need loads of support. They don't have any respect for our sleep tendencies. They have a high needs in those first few months and beyond. And the more we normalize that and the more we help parents understand that what they're going through is typical and that there are no, let's say, fast magic bullets, points in time, weight we need to gain, age we need to become in order for better sleep to come, that sometimes it's just a developmental process. And then I guess I feel that if we understand that, we can relax more into our experience, we can reconcile more within our experience, and then we can also start to do what I call working behind the scenes. So that I'd never write it off. I think that we can always be doing things, but sometimes we might not just get the yield that we're looking for. And developmentally, sleep matures a lot in the first six months. And that's why I take your child's sleep in two halves. Those first six months, I treat it really differently. And then beyond six months, I have a different approach again. And that is quite clear from uh, your first book and this book again. Now, let's take it that we've reached the six-month mark and we're moving into month seven and heading on there towards the uh, great celebration of the the first birthday. Should, at that stage, Lucy, a, a pattern be emerging of morning nap, afternoon nap, 
and then a good night's sleep? Well, certainly the sleep rhythms are more organised. So the possibility for that to emerge is definitely there. But whether parents feel that or not is another thing entirely. But certainly that is, I do feel that your nighttime sleep can become more organised. But I don't necessarily feel that that's sleeping through the night or whatever that might be. But I do believe that your child could maybe sleep better, longer, deeper and more. And I certainly believe that beyond six months, nap rhythms become biologically more developed. And as a result of that, we may start to see a longer nap tendency. And if we don't see it, there is definitely room for that fertile ground to be prepared and for us to start to see that emergence, definitely. A big problem, and you have a chapter on it, and I have a question in on this uh, on this one for you already. And if you'd like to put a question to Lucy, you have time uh, over the next few minutes or so. Get them into us, 086-1800-658. Text me or WhatsApp now, and I'll put them to Lucy. You have a chapter on early rising, I and, and I have a question for you. A seven-month-old waking between 4.30 and 5 a.m., Every morning and ready to rock and roll, Lucy. <laughs> I know. And you'll see I dedicated a whole chapter to early rising because it is one of my biggest um, questions that come up all of the time for families. And it's a real problem. Um, and again, I split it up into different categories because not all early risers are created equal. Um, some children are waking early because they've gone to bed really early and they've done enough sleep. Some children may be habitual early risers. Um, or maybe genetically predisposed. Um, And then some are in an early learning cycle where they're maybe in the middle of learning and then they can't put that last cycle together. So again, the book will help parents to discover which category they fall into. And then they'll also be able to put a strategy in place. I think for me, Jerry, it's all about helping parents understand that sometimes the waking at four o'clock in the morning or the short nap or the frequent waking post-bedtime, that is only ever a symptom and it's the symptom of a wider issue, if that makes sense to you, yeah. that the four o'clock waking often is dictated to what happened to your child when they went to bed. What did they associate with going to sleep? Was the level of help such that they didn't do enough of the work at bedtime themselves? And as a result, can't get through that last sleep cycle at four o'clock in the morning. And then instead of going to the effort of that, they just look like they're ready to start the day. So I suppose I always go back through the history and see... What could be contributing to that? The biggest diluting factors for early waking are that the sleepability at bedtime is not a high enough level. So that might mean maybe they're held too close to sleep time, they're almost asleep or completely asleep going into their cot, they drink their last bottle and they go to sleep on that, which creates a barrier. And although it means that they go to sleep with ease, it does actually, for a lot of children, stop them being able to stay asleep. So it enables sleep, but it disables staying asleep. So we look at that. And then I also look at what happens during the day in terms of, you'll notice that I talk about a nap gap dynamic in the book. And basically it's the science of sleep between the end of daytime sleep and bedtime. And where that gap is too big, that often leaves us exposed to early rising. So in this age group, that little baby is seven months old, probably don't want her awake more than two hours between her last nap and bedtime. And then often if that gap is even just two and a half hours, and in some instances it could be three and four, that will leave you further exposed to early waking. So again, it's about trying to figure out what's causing what and then putting a plan together to address those issues. And that's what I love about this book is that I feel that I've managed to break it into the segments and answer that question directly for a family and then help them backtail and put a plan together to start to work through it. Absolutely. Chapter 13, Early Rising, is the one you need in this new book, The Baby Sleep Solution. Um, another comment from a listener. I'll take them as they're coming to me. Uh, we have uh, a wee one, uh, five to six months at the moment, wakens uh, early, very early in the morning, pop him into the bed beside us, and the job's a good one. What do you say to that? Well, I feel whatever you do, as long as it feels like it works, I feel that it's a good solution. I think that if you do things and they don't feel like they work or they feel like they're causing other issues, then I always look to change. I look to see what could we do differently. Not necessarily better, but what could we do differently. But I'm a big advocate, Jerry, of getting families to consider, does this feel right for me? Does it resonate? Does it feel like it works? And if it does, I feel no harm, no foul. 
Do I take it like in a general sense that uh, this is sleep is is crucial, of course, and the amount of sleep a, a wee baby needs from birth is far greater, and it it moves out as the, as they grow and develop. But but you know when you think of things like uh, you know you mentioned the, the feeding their food, uh, getting them out for some air, stimulation, the sleeping environment, things like that. That whole combination all plays its part in in the sleeping conundrum. Absolutely. And again, that's why I have a holistic approach, because I believe absolutely everything affects your child's sleep. Everything they think, everything they feel, everything they see, do, eat, drink. But also, Jerry, everything you think and feel, see and do, eat and drink as a parent also has an effect on your child. And then what the, the other parents, so, and that's before we look at environment, where they sleep, what the temperature is. So there are so many force factors that affect your child's sleep. Um, is there any wonder that we sometimes struggle and it isn't a wonder that sometimes sleep can be the biggest challenge for a family unit. But what we try and do is distill that down and try to work towards making sure that we do get enough food, do not get enough to eat and drink, do get enough outside activity. We have reduced screen time and that we're trying to hit the marks as best as we possibly can. And then we bring in the science factors, the sleep science factors as well, to, in order to try and allow families to begin to grow their sleep. Here's another one for you. We're new parents, three-month-old baby. Congratulations to you, whoever you are. Would you ask Lucy, Jerry, please, two things for us. Number one, when to uh, her own cot, and secondly, to her own room. Um, well, the health agenda supports that we room share for at least the first six months. And then beyond that, I generally find it's a personal preference. But I definitely think that a bigger cot rather than the co-sleeper, might come into play from around four months when your child gets a little bit bigger and they, they need more space to move around. But of course, that, you know, the conventional cot could be in your room um, until you're ready to move them out. And then when you are ready to move them out, it is generally a case of spending lots of non-sleep time in the bedroom with them, playing with them in the bedroom, changing nappies in the bedroom, getting them dressed in the bedroom, you know, you doing the cot exercises with them, playing in the cot and familiarising with them. And then if you like, and I do recommend this, that I usually put parents in the new room with the child until the child is more settled in their own room. And then I move the parent out and then they're in their own room and everyone is happy with that. And you use, you know, a monitor if, you, if, you, if that makes you feel more secure around where you want your baby to sleep. But that would be the general recommendation. Is it more difficult in the world of today? And my God, since uh, we set this up, our chat here, hasn't the world even changed with so many parents now at home, full time with their children and trying to work from there and manage babies uh, as well at the same time with no minding facilities. But say we were in a a normal situation where you leave a child to a minder or a creche or that and you're trying to do what Lucy Wolf says and put it into action at home. It must be difficult to, to carry that through with a minor or a crash. It, it actually is, Jerry, and I suppose not diminishing what's going on in the world at the moment, it is very challenging, but if there's one good thing, if people are healthy, it's a great time to work on your sleep, where we're all a little yeah. bit grounded, while we have those external forces reduced, because certainly it is more challenging when we have childcare, but it's not unachievable. And I guess I always encourage parents to not create barriers, but to try and work through them. And I always look for, and I, I do get, and we anticipate positive input from the daycare environment, from the childminders, because they want the best for that particular child. And again, we transfer the skill set from home into the other location, whether it's granny, whether it's a formal daycare environment. Um, but yes, the more home-based we can be, the less school runs we have, the less external forces. It is actually better for, and I know that the clients that I'm working with at the moment, despite the extra worry that they have at the moment too, they are reporting that they feel it is easier at the moment to establish things. So, again, if people are well, I think it's a great time to maybe look at that. And that's notwithstanding the challenges that, that come with having to mind children at home without as much freedom as we'd normally have and not having those breaks or the support from maybe the family network. Um, but it is also just trying to look at the positives within that as well. I would always think along those lines. You know the way we have this rhythm within ourselves? We all have it as human beings. And what you're trying to do is establish that, of course, in a small child and that they uh, move along as they grow up. A couple of things. You know, winter as against summer. The clocks are changing this week. Does that hour make any difference? Or you know the way the light is coming earlier in the mornings nowadays? It'll be more the light that has the impact. You know, light and dark, we use it to, you know, um, initiate sleep 
we lo- we use light to make help us become more alert and regulate the body clock that you mentioned. So yes, certainly it can challenge the body clock now this weekend. We move forward an hour. Again, it's not such a big deal. You can just move things out the hour. It's just a figurative thing on the Sunday. But what you'll find is that some people will have trouble with their waking. It, 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 looks, it looks later, but it's actually the same time as it was, but it looks earlier on the clock, if that makes sense to you. So your, your typical 6 a.m. is now 7 a.m., but it's still 6 a.m. as the week unfolds. It's just that it's a different time on the clock. But we'll you always make sure that for bedtime, we are creating a, a dark environment and again for early in the morning parents will need to look at blackout blinds because that helps to seal in the light or isolate the light and then that will help with early rising too and then also I think it's very important that when we do establish daytime sleep that the daytime sleep is also in a dark environment as well to help just underpin the process of sleep. Now the book, uh, getting the book at this point in time with bookshops impacted, what's the easiest way to get hold of this? Well, it's on, it's available on, it's widely available online. That's the good thing about most bookshops immediately or either existing, um, offering an online service um, or immediately transferred to an online service. So the book is readily available online from all good bookshops. It's also available on my website, sleepmatters.ie. And we have a first fast turnaround service directly from the website as well. Do you know what you're like? You're like a, a really brilliant wine. You get better with age, may I say. Oh, well, that's a lovely thing of you to say. Ah, really, I, I tell you, you you've just uh, uh, moved up a notch, may I say, and you were fantastic and have always been with this book. It, it's, it's really brilliant the way you've put it together and pulling in all the experience, as you say, from mums and babies and dads as well. It's terrific. Congratulations, and it's lovely to talk to you today, Lucy. Oh, thank you so much for your ongoing support. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. That's Lucy Wolf there, and the new book is called All About the Baby Sleep Solution, Your Questions Answered. No excuses anymore for a lack of sleep, thanks to Lucy. Nature and wildlife marches on regardless. The brilliant Michael Fewer has observed the months and seasons in Ireland. My next guest has recorded the passing months and seasons in Ireland and recounts his observations in a delightful new book called A Natural Year. He's an acclaimed columnist, broadcaster and author of an excess of 20 books about walking and nature in this country. I'm delighted to welcome Michael Fuhrer to Late Lunch. Hello, Michael. Good afternoon to you, Jerry, and good afternoon to all your listeners as well. Thank you for joining me on the show. I want to start with a quote from the book, and it's for the month we're in in March. It says, Oh, what a dawn of day, how the March sun feels like May. It's a little bit deceptive, though, isn't it, Michael? It is, of course. But listen, today we're enjoying a little pet day. Every now and then, at the beginning of spring, there's a little kind of... uh, Nature gives us a little blast of what the summer might be like. And we've had a kind of awful, I think we've had a kind of an awful winter so far. Mm. Uh, and it's nice to get a bit of sunshine. And don't, don't get any idea that I'm leaving out the terrible and horrible things we're going through at the moment. But I think one of the things we can do is look out at the sunshine, look out at the birds and the trees, and I think it will help us. This book, was it based on your observations of last year or over an amalgam of years? It's an amalgam, really, because uh, one year won't give you that amount of things. And also, of course, I mean, I, I tend to go off on tangents uh, talking about what happened a number of years ago anyway. Uh, in order to make it an entertaining book, it's not meant to be a serious nature lover's book. Yeah. Uh, it's meant to be something for people who are interested in nature and interested in finding out more about it. I mean, it's really to encourage people to take more notice, uh, let's say, Jerry, of the natural surroundings and to observe them more carefully. And, you know, there is in everyone a kind of a deep-seated urge to connect with nature. You know, you know wildlife programs like David Attenborough's are so popular. You know, why are people so fascinated? And why do people want to go to out-of-the-way places like the Galapagos? Mm. I think it's because they need to feel the warmth of connection with the earth and to get the thrill of touching nature. You know, we've all come from the earth, but a lot of us, particularly city dwellers, have kind of lost that being in touch, in warm and comfortable touch with nature. And I think there's now an urge to to get in touch again. 
No, certainly. And and uh, I have to say in the book, it's enthralling. I, I love your uh, drawings and the photographs as well. I want to talk about March for a moment because I picked out a few things because it is the month that we're in at the moment and you yes. cover every month. The bumblebees, I saw several yes. of them uh, buzzing about the weekend. Yes, yes indeed. They're, they're out and they're humming around the garden. And even that sound alone, that sound alone, if you just listen. You know, one of the great things about nature is if you're quiet and just listen, you'll hear things. And the things will actually raise your spirits. I mean, the home of a bumblebee must raise everybody's spirits. What do you think? Yeah, my, sure, he flew past me. I was in the garden putting in a few early spuds, and next yeah. I heard him buzzing by me, and I looked, yeah. and, and he wasn't the only one. There was a few of them about. And, of course, at this time, Michael, the yeah. birds are building and mating. It's frenetic with them at the moment. Well, we have a pair of pigeons, wood pigeons, uh, we watched them again today at lunchtime. Uh, a pair of them, and it's, it's hilarious, Jerry. Uh, the male, of course, is doing all the showing around. He's dipping his head, he's bowing, he's doing little hops. He's raising his fanned tail. And the female is standing there kind of looking fairly disinterested. And then eventually, after he's done a lot of this thing, she just flies off. <laughs> <laughs> and I think all males will actually know this feeling. <laughs> For sure. You've hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, and really, really, Jerry, if you just watch them, the wood pigeons are particularly fascinated because they're big enough to see yeah. mating. And I mean, eventually he does uh, manage, he succeeds. And uh, there's, there's at least two nests of wood pigeons in the trees behind me. And they're bringing in little sticks, flying off. These are big birds. And they come back with a little twig in their beaks, you know, and yeah. make their way into the tree and then come back out. They must take ages and ages to build these nests but to watch them is such a joy Yeah and I have a pair of starlings actually nesting in the fascia just outside my oh, back yes, door Oh yes indeed in the fascia yes yeah. indeed yes And you know I, I wouldn't touch them for the world because I, know. I have a little granddaughter and we sit in the summer evenings yeah. in, in a few weeks time and we watch them going in and yeah. out feeding the young Feeding the young it's wonderful isn't it, it? Is certainly for children Yeah I mean if children are not shown nature Early on, I mean, they, it'll take a long time for them to grasp it. Mm. And I think it's a wonderful thing to show children nature. I have a little grandchild uh, who I take down the garden on a regular basis. He says, can I go and see the creatures, he says. He's only mm. three, mm. but he wants to see the creatures. So we look under stones and we find centipedes and we find wood lice, all of these things. And he's utterly fascinated by these. And I'm hoping in my heart of hearts that he won't forget it all and he will... These things will remain yeah. in there and will be deep-seated. I mean, my own mother was uh, a wonderful, let's say, teacher of nature. And uh, I know that she told me so many things, but without uh, the feeling that you were being told something, uh, I learned from her. And these things went on to become quite deep-seated. Uh, it wasn't that I was kind of practicing uh, nature or whatever it is. It became part of me, and I really, I really love it. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned you mentioned a wee pond, and and a garden is a place where you can create uh, the smallest of ponds, and yeah. within no time it'll be a hive of life, Michael. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, everything, everything that flies will come along and drop some eggs in there someplace. Uh, yeah, we our pond, Jerry, is made out of an old Victorian bath, sunk into the ground and surrounded by sort of stones, and it has served us wonderfully. Uh, we have we've had newts in there. We've had fr frogs every year. And remember, people who like their gardens, frogs are good for keeping the slugs down. Remember, mm. if you can keep a population of frogs, you're going to actually reduce the number of slugs in the garden. So we've got great enjoyment out of the out of the pond. Everything coming and going, watching out for the frogs every year when they come back for their frog fest, for their for their uh, big party. Yeah. I think the party is mainly, again, a male party. <laughs> uh, but the females are persuaded to come along. And the result, of course, is lots of frog spawn and tadpoles. And again, yeah. the kids love that kind of thing. Oh, Frogs are very accessible for children. Mm, and, and, and they are about, and they are spawning at the minute. Something yeah. I picked out from the book with a local connection here in the northeast, and it's in the month of April. You mentioned yeah. a book that you picked up for little or nothing called Illustrations of British Flora. Oh, uh, yeah. It yeah. goes back... And well, it, you mentioned a, Carlingford. Yeah, it's a story, Jerry. It's a story that I love. Uh, I was in Carlingford, this is way back, quite a number of years ago, in Carlingford walking on those wonderful uh, uh, Waymark trails there, the Tawn Way, I think it's called. Mm. And I came across a bunch of flowers and I didn't know what they were. I really didn't know. A little purple uh, flower 
uh, uh, with sort of bright green leaves. So I went back to my books uh, to see could I identify it. And I went through all the, you know, the fabulously photographic books of columns and things like that. Couldn't find it. Eventually, I went to a book that I had bought as a sailor work for about a pound. And it was Hooker's uh, Wildflowers or something like that. And in it, the lady who had it back in the 1920s had been given it, I think, when she retired as a teacher in Hollampatrick uh, in uh, Balbriggan. And uh, she had retired and had been presented with this book. She wrapped it in canvas, uh, stitched it in canvas, and then went out and looked for, looked for you know, looking at flowers. Mm. Every time she found a flower, she delicately colored the drawing in in watercolor and said where she'd found it uh, and the date she'd found it. And here I came across this wonderful uh, Butterworth found in Carlingford on something like, you know, May 26th, 1926. I will tell you, you're not far away with the date. I have the date because it's hard for you to remember. It was actually the 25th of May, 1927. There you are. I knew it was something like that. But but you know, for me, Jerry, uh, I've tried to find her, tried to track her down. I found out, I found the person who gave her, the... Her, her school, let's say the, the student who gave her uh, the book, I found her all right. right. And I was able to trace her, but I wasn't able to trace the actual lady who had the book. But I felt, I felt connected with her yes. in the same way as I feel connected with my mother, having shown me the first flowers, the wonderful uh, uh, primroses, uh, the, the delicacy of primroses, and the perfume of primroses is still with me. Mm. But I, now when I look at wildflowers, uh, Annette Spence, that's the name of the woman who owns the book, who was given the book on her retirement. Yes. Annette Spence and my mother are at my shoulder as I look at Wildflower. Ah, oh, isn't that just lovely? And, well, uh, it is. For me, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but we, all, we, we can all feel that and get that feeling from people yes. who have guided and shaped our lives. I honestly believe it. I want yes. to come on to something else because, you know, as you say, it's not just a specific wildlife book or for uh, real, you know, getting into depth. And you do mention something that's interesting. You talk about weeds and the bindweed in particular. <laughs> it's a devil, uh, isn't it? Yes, I mean, did, I, I, do, I, I may have, I can't remember now, but I bindweed, yeah, is a bit of a, a devil, but, uh, and we were spending great times trying to dig into it and get the last bit of the root out. But I heard Jerry Davy, uh, Daly on the radio with a, uh, a, prog- a radio program. I don't know, did I write this in the book? Go Jerry on. Daly and a radio program. And uh, <laughs> he's, this woman rang in, I, I listened to the radio program, and they had these phone ins like this. And the lady says, there's convulsions in my next door neighbor's garden and they're coming over the wall to me. Convulsions. In other words, she meant convolvulus, yes. which is the kind of bindweed. Bindweed, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> you could hear Jerry and his panel. Uh, there was a Smiling. quiet for a while where they all sniggered, the, <laughs> sniggered away. But anyway, this woman was concerned about the convulsions next door oh, coming into brilliant, her own garden. Brilliant, brilliant. I have a, uh, in my garden, and I do a bit of gardening, I have a wee greenhouse and that, mare's tail. You know the mare's tail? Yes, I do, oh. yes, yes. And you're well, never rid of it. If you Jerry, leave a it's been bit. around for something like, it's been around for millions of years. One yeah. of the oldest plants mm. we have, mm. mare's tail. It actually was around uh, back in the Pliocene or one of these hugely ancient periods, geological periods, and it's still here. It was a lot bigger then. It's a bit smaller now, but it's yeah. very hard to get rid of. And like moving into April, you know, you, you the season moves on so quickly. Mother Nature does. And of course, then we have the coming of the swallows, swifts and martins. Yes. What a yes. time that is. Yes, indeed. To watch these amazing little birds, little delicate little birds who have flown, a lot of them, all the way from South Africa, mm. right north across the equator, across northern Africa, across the Mediterranean, and then up along the west coast of Europe to land into our little garden uh, or our little shed or wherever it is they build their nests. And they will bring up their young and will twitter around in the summer sky for ages. I mean, I sit in our little place in Waterford. I, I sit in the seat outside in the evening and just watch them going around, all twittering. And you can imagine the, the older swallows teaching the younger swallows all the tricks of flying and how to catch flies on the wing and all this kind of thing. Because within a few weeks, those poor divots are going to be flying back to South Africa, mm. and they need to be able to survive. Mm. So it's just wonderful to watch that miracle of life. And, I, you know, at a time like this, when everything looks so dark, 
it does say to me that, you know, things will go on, things will return, things will continue again as they were before. Absolutely. And while we're in this time, even though we're mightily restricted, in our gardens, in our the space, whether yes. it be little or small around our homes, yes. and when you go on your walk today, keeping that space between you and observing yes, the rules, yes, you indeed. can take it all in, Michael. It's there. Yeah, it's all there. Uh, all you need to do is open your eyes and see. Uh, and I, I know it's difficult for some people uh, to imagine this, but, you know, I have to tell you, uh, it's there. There is wonders. Uh, there are wonders out there. I mean, even from the point of view of, you know, you have your bum- bumblebees, but it's, there's a very calming effect. Nature has a tremendously calming effect. Mm. And it will it will definitely help, definitely help. And again, the other thing to do is to look for the, you know, the extraordinary uh, in the ordinary. We're surrounded by ordinary, or it's maybe ordinary wildlife. But in fact, there is extraordinary. Uh, who is it? Uh, Michael Cody, you say, to try and pluck the lyrical from the everyday. And indeed, there is lyrical there and extraordinary. Uh, down the road from me, there's a little stream and it comes down from the mountain. And in that stream, if I watch it carefully, uh, there's a bird called the dipper. Mm. Uh, a lot of people won't know the dipper, but unless you look in a stream, you won't see one. But the dipper is an amazing bird. I mean, you don't have to go to the Galapagos, as I say, to find extraordinary things. The dipper stands on a stone at the side of the stream and then dives into the water and goes down and walks on the bottom to get his food, which is mainly caddisfly larvae and things like that. But imagine that. Walks on the bottom, then comes up and chews away and then dips into the water again and walks on the bottom. And it's a common bird here. Relatively common. Mm. The wood pigeon I mentioned, if I, I don't want to bore people, but the wood no. pigeon I mentioned earlier on, Jerry. Yeah. That wood pigeon has a habit uh, which is very rare. The wood pigeon, uh, when the wood pigeon is feeding its young, it goes and it takes seeds and various other things and it creates a curd in its crop. So it feeds the young the curd. So the young actually develop very, very quickly. It's very hard to point out a young wood pigeon. I have to say I can't remember ever having knowingly seen a wood pigeon. They always seem to be the full-grown lads. But the point about this curd is there are only two other birds in the world who do this particular thing that our common wood pigeon does. Does it? And one of them is the flamingo and the other is the pelican. Brilliant. So our little wood pigeon, you know, is in good company. (laughs) Yes, indeed. That's me and my hands. I know I can it is, do and you did it very well. And I do very well. well and I do him well. I did. I got him well. Anyway, Michael, listen, I have to leave it there. I'll talk to you again. You're brilliant. I love the book. A natural year. Michael Fewer. Get it. Enjoy it. And I have a copy and I'll tell you after the break how you can win it on late lunch today. Talk to you down the road, Michael. Thank you, Jerry. Thank God you very much you. indeed. Take and thanks care to all your listeners. Bye bye. Not at all. Bye bye. Bye bye. A joy to behold. Well done, Michael. And finally, we brought you tidings of great joy from Fred Cook and Julie J. Well, 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 we have news. We have news of joy, and the man to bring us news of joy is on the line. Fred Cook, good afternoon. Jerry, great to hear from you. How are you? I'm you good. Well? And how are you and your good lady, Julie? We're delighted. Now, we're due, the, the due date, we're, we're, we're having a baby, and it's due on the 22nd of September. Uh, my sister so, uh, my sister was born on the 21st. So 22nd oh, is there your you go. There you Two go. birthdays now I have to look after. Her name is Katrina. I say hello to her in Clamel. There, there you great. go. 22nd of September. Well, are you, are you all excited and delighted? We are. Do you know what I mean? It's it's strange times, but there, there, there is a happiness. So we're trying to maintain that as well and look after that. Yes. Uh, Julie, I guess we're in Brandon down in Kerry at the moment. And uh, I guess we're quite isolated. You're, you're naturally isolated around here anyway. So, so but you know, we're, we're delighted. Yeah. We really are. We're thrilled. And of course, at this time, you've got to be extra vigilant and careful to keep yourselves to yourselves for the next while. You realise that that... That that can't be easy. You being a man and a woman of the people. Well, I guess you know, like the the, the rules were like you know we have to keep at least two meters away, and we're not no kissing, so nothing's really changed. <laughs> <laughs> so, you wouldn't know the difference around here. So you're telling me this was the immaculate conception. <laughs> well, that's that's what I had to tell my parents initially. <laughs> 
And I'm like, what? You don't believe that? What? <laughs> oh, my, isn't it? Isn't it? I, I, you know, I, I think back those years when we were expected our first child, which is not today or yesterday, but it, it's some feeling, Fred, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. And it's a, it is, it's not, you know, I guess it's calm before the storm in many different ways at the moment, you know what I mean? So I guess I'm just trying to, you know, think ahead and uh, be very positive. But I'm very excited, I'm blessed. Yeah. I really am. Like, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to do, you know what I mean? And, it's, uh, and, and Julie's great, she's looking after herself as well, like, so it's fantastic. By God, with the talent in the daddy and the mammy and the fun and the happiness this child. But, you know, but, but I think kids at times, especially teenagers, always seem to go against their parents. So, like, we'll probably have an accountant. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it's, uh, do you know, I was actually thinking uh, between, it's hard to know what the baby is like, but I was, I was, Julie and I were talking about our leave and search yesterday because we don't know where the leave and search stands. And the first time I did the leave and search compared to the, uh, when Julie did the leave and search, there's a point difference of 420 points. So, uh, and she didn't even do that well. <laughs> so I hope, I hope, I hope the kid, you know, gets the, gets the clever chromosomes. That's so, all I want. And if it comes out, if it comes out with a full head of hair and straight teeth and a sense of placement, well, it's definitely not my kid. I tell you that for nothing. <laughs> it's official on Late Lunch LMFM today. Fred Cook nails it. Accountants are bores. So, yeah, yeah. So, ah, but it, it's great. And uh, hopefully, you know, I'd love to be there. Do you know what I mean? I'd love to be in the studios with you now in Drada. But, uh, of course, we have, to, we have to work around it. Ah, we certainly do. On a more serious note, you know, from an entertainer's point of view, and, of course, uh, the world has closed down for you guys in terms yeah, of, you know, yeah. live performance, which you're marvellous at. Um, what's the the, the the general feeling like it just uh, suck it and see get through this do what we're told and looking forward beyond yeah yeah I mean I've been in this situation before outside of any virus you know what I mean like I've just kind of hit a, a dry patch so uh, so for me personally I've been lucky on a personal level the timing was lucky for me because I just come to the end of the Tommy Tiernan run I did the end of a tour and my next tour is not till September October Okay. So I was using this time anyway, uh, but I'm still. I've had loads of gigs cancelled. Loads, you know, festivals is when the summer festival season's kicking kicks in around now. So there's nothing. But you know, it's not. A, it's not a complaint. It's just the way it is. So it's, it's trying to keep stand up and entertainment is naturally irregular and sporadic anyway. So we're quite good at evolving into it and working around it. Anyway, isn't so, that interesting? So the, yeah, yeah. So you yeah, have, absolutely. you, you, you know that because we we talked about this before. The work is never guaranteed. It comes and goes. You get a run, and then as you say, that's it. Yeah, a, a lead yeah. spell. So you you just look on this as being this time as well. But Fred, as in uh, all things in life, this too will pass. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And I can't wait. I can't wait to go in and sit down in the pub and have a chat with someone I don't know. So, uh, do you know what I mean? Like, just, just, just the things you take for granted. Absolutely. moments like this. Absolutely. Well, look, Fred, just wanted to say hello because we love you. You know that. We love you in LMFM Lord, Radio. You know, I love you so much. And uh, I, had to, I had to laugh that uh, if I had Dancing with the Stars this year, I would have got to the final. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly would. It's not terrible, isn't it? <laughs> and to think I did the same as Father Ray on the board. Isn't, he, I'm, I love I like Father Ray. I like him. I've only met him a few times, but I thought I was bad, but he made me look like Michael Flatley. (laughs) (laughs) He surely did. Anyway, uh, say uh, uh, three Hail Marys and an hour farther for that one, will you? (laughs) Yeah, and thank God for the Immaculate Conception. God God bless you, Fred. Congratulations to Julie. Take care, Bye-bye. A fun-filled home awaits baby in September. Thanks for listening and be sure to join us each afternoon for your late lunch on LMFM Radio. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.